0: we started to have this hypothesis that, okay, if you look at the situation in music, there's just this massive long tail of artists. We're talking 20 million artists who are creating music and are able to now go online and find a global audience and build that global audience from scratch, which they never could before. But they may be in a subculture or or a smaller genre where they're never going to have the mass amount of streams that allow them to earn revenue through streaming. Our hypothesis was, Well, they have these super engaged communities. So if they sold directly to their fans, what would that look like?
1: I'm Jesse Clemens, and this is Creator Kit, where each week we shine the spotlight on awesome new tools and services for the creator economy and unpack how they might help you grow your creator business faster. Creator Kit is presented by Highbeam. Highbeam solves message overload for creators by organizing and prioritizing DMs and comments in one unified workspace so you never miss an important message again. You can find us at highbeamapp.com. On this episode of Creator Kit, we talked to Jenna Hannon. Jenna is the co founder of Supermassive, a one link commerce hub for recording artists to sell NFT collectibles. On today's show, we talk about a mega trend called the autonomy economy and a crazy pandemic-related entrepreneurial movement some are calling the Great Formation. We also cover the state of the music industry in 2022 and what it takes to earn a living as a musician in the age of streaming and Spotify. Let's get to it. Jenna, thanks for coming on the show.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: It's uh, amazing to have you on the show. Really excited to talk about your company and your experience in the creator economy and a bunch of other stuff. The platform that we're going to be talking about is one of the first that we've had on the show that is more narrowly focused on artists and specifically musicians. So I'm really, really interested in getting into it. A lot of the other solutions that we've talked to in the past have been like more broadly targeted. And it'll be fun to talk about how some of these macro trends that are pushing the creator economy forward so rapidly, manifest themselves in the world of music, which I'm super excited about. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so we met a couple months back and have chatted a couple times. We were introduced by a mutual friend when I was thinking through some marketing ideas. It was really fun chatting through a few brief ideas on, on one of our calls. And I got to know a little bit about a product that you guys are building for musicians but I also became familiar with your work as a marketer. And I understand that you've had a fairly long and and very exciting career as a marketer from Uber to a bunch of other stops along the way. And that's your your current startup. One thing that uh, we had talked about in some of the prep for the call is this theme that has run through your career that's not necessarily marketing oriented, but kind of the companies that you've chosen to spend your time at so far. And that is sort of Empowerment of the individual and what you had referred to as the autonomy economy, which is a new concept to me and I thought was um, really, really cool as a, not necessarily a replacement, but kind of a, the next wave of some of the trends that have powered what many people are familiar with as the gig economy, which is obviously you know fairly tied to some of the work you did at Uber. Maybe that would be a, a good way to start. Can you tell us a little bit about the autonomy economy and that that idea that has driven you into the various uh, career moves you've made?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you mentioned, I was at Uber. So I was at Uber for, for four years, in, starting in 2016. As most people know, one of the, the biggest gig economy companies. So the trends that we saw in the gig economy is more people choosing to go this route, which is they had more platforms available. And through the gig economy, the I would say the value prop is that you own your time. And so that was one of the biggest thing for, for Uber drivers. So when we talk to them, what is the benefit of driving for Uber? It's that freedom and autonomy. Now you're seeing a trend post COVID of that moving up market, which is really interesting. So you're seeing more professionals of all types of backgrounds that are choosing to go freelance and own their time. And that's the thing that they value more than the the structure of the full-time job or the comfort of, of the full-time job and salary. You're seeing this same trend in the creator economy. So as the creator economy grows, more people are figuring out how do we leverage these online platforms to generate content, find an audience, and essentially own your time and own your business. And so that's the acceleration of what I refer to as the autonomy economy, which is part of the creator economy.
1: Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And it's obviously, as with all things these days, we have to look at trends through the lens of of COVID. What came to mind when you were discussing autonomy is like another accelerant to that trend of autonomy and time ownership is like location fluidity or like flexibility. I don't know what you want to call it, but you know, so many people that were suddenly able to work from wherever they wanted that major life change, I think made a lot of people also reconsider how they use that time, not just like where are they working from physically, but also what are they working on and comparing a future where they can choose to spend their time in a way that makes sense to them versus your traditional nine to six corporate job.
0: Exactly. And a lot of that is timing too, timing and tools. So in the gig economy, a lot of those companies had to build a platform to allow people to do that, to allow them, they can make a living working on a platform that allows them to own their time and that potentially flexibility of location. After COVID, you saw the same thing with Zoom, which is an incredible tool that allowed this distributed remote work to actually work through COVID. I think the same thing is happening in the creator economy, which is you need those tools or those platforms to exist to allow for this. So timing is super important for this concept of, of the autonomy economy, because without the the tools to do it, it's very hard for people to make that transition.
1: Yeah. The availability of the tools and the way that companies like Shopify, for example, took things that felt like super intimidating for an individual, even like five, six years ago, setting up a shop to sell something online, really easy payments. Yeah, exactly. Like even from a services perspective, what's been eye-opening to me as a startup founder, you know, needing to find part-time help in certain, certain areas is like, This extends now to hiring professionals. I think that's sort of what you alluded to in going upstream. Like we're, it's December of 2021 and we're currently looking to hire for a couple roles. One is like a community manager role. Another is a part-time social media slash marketer role. And it's the stage we're at. It's out of the question to bring someone on full-time. I know you have strong thoughts about this. I've seen you tweeted recently about bringing on fractional like location independent help. So it's amazing that not only can you now sign up for Uber and start working if you have a cell phone and a and a decent vehicle, but you can do different all different types of work with partners all across the world. It's uh, crazy cool.
0: yeah, and i' I'd actually recommend that that a lot of companies consider more freelance autonomy professionals. I actually, before I started, I was essentially CMO for hire for a startup. And with that, essentially I helped them with the strategy and a lot of the campaigns. And then I would have, I had a network of freelancers that I would go and hire to help execute. And the thing about marketing is marketing has a lot of specialists. So those roles that you're talking about, community management, that's actually a specialty role. You actually need someone who really knows how to do that well and has experience in that specific background. The same thing is for roles like copywriting or performance marketing. Those are all specialists. And so it's actually tough for a lot of early stage or even small companies to hire that in-house. And if you look across functional roles, I think the same thing carries over. For example, we actually recently interviewed a firm that does freelance back office. So they have freelance CFOs and accountants that come in based on you know the specific time and thing that you need for that project. You may not need that full time. Um, I think most companies have not thought about this across the different professional functions. Most of them think, oh, there's some roles you can hire contractors or freelancers, but actually a lot of different types of roles you can. You can build out of house, which is as that transitions, you're seeing more full-time people who have those specialty skills thinking about owning their time and their flexibility and saying, okay, I could do this out of house and I could work with three different clients versus just one. So I'm seeing this with especially with community managers and performance marketers who have those very specialty skill sets that can hop in and work with the company at a very specific time for a very specific need and then hop out and work for another company. And they can choose that, the timing of that. They can choose to take on as much work or as little work as they would like, depending on what they want to work on, which is very different than when you're a salaried employee in-house. And I think we'll just see more and more roles that we previously would have never thought of companies outsourcing going to freelancers
1: for sure and when you were describing the way that this is kind of rapidly changing i was thinking through a chart that i saw that i think it might have been yeah i think it was fred wilson's blog and it was basically like hey the the trends that we're seeing in the labor force right now a lot of people are calling it the great resignation because folks are you know stepping back from whatever their typical job was. And it's been framed by many as like, okay, are people just kind of sitting on the sidelines to make sure they get fair value for their time, aka, you know, waiting for better offers? Are they doing something else with their time? And when you overlay the chart of LLC and independent company formation, it suddenly starts to look a lot more like the great formation, meaning like tons of tiny companies, usually individuals sole proprietorship type deals getting created during this time period, which all goes in line with the idea of flexibility and the ability to to work where you want, when you want.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I think that's not being factored into that current
1: narrative that's being
0: reported on. It seems like the climate is a lot of people choosing to step away or retire or maybe career change, but you're right. You're also seeing a direct correlation to exactly LLC formation, people going freelance. I actually have a friend who runs a startup called Collective, and this is exactly what they do. So they're a platform that allows you to form, they actually, I think are S-corp structure. So if you are a freelancer and you want to start building your freelance business, they do all of the administration in a platform and they are growing like crazy. And they're saying, when I ask them what type of people are joining their platform, a lot of it is different type of professionals but also creators which is interesting they're seeing an uptick of creators are finding more and more ways to earn online by by creating content of value
1: awesome makes a lot of sense okay so we're going to wind our way slowly to the world of music and the platform you're working on one step in that direction is talking about ownership and you know just as we were talking about flexibility in terms of work there's Another kind of related trend is flexibility in housing. So like trends amongst amongst, um, millennials and Gen Z have been a lot more rental oriented with at least kind of like the meme is that millennials and Gen Z value experiences a lot more than they value ownership of physical property. And uh, you had mentioned something really cool, which was like, all right, actually a different take on this is millennials and Gen Z do still consider ownership really important but a lot of that ownership is actually digital ownership not ownership of physical stuff tell us a little more about that cuz i thought it was fascinating
0: yeah this is actually a great segue to music cuz you you see the trend in music as well and it's a great analogy for what's happening with how people feel about ownership when it comes to physical ownership of things in the physical world and digital ownership so if you look at the way music was previously distributed and purchased, it was all physical. So you as an artist would have to go through a label and you would sell, essentially get physical distribution. You as a fan would go and purchase a CD and that's how you listen to music. Then there was this wave of Napster and LimeWire where music started to go digital and there was a phase where music was stolen. And the belief amongst a lot of the older generations was that no one would ever pay for music. The boomers are very much used to the explosion of physical goods, a lot of outsourcing to different countries where more goods got cheaper. And so ownership for the boomer generation is really around like houses and cars and things that you fill within your home. Then the next generation of millennials it was more of a gender, you, you had all the companies come online that allowed you to rent. For example, I, I rent my furniture. Uh, millennials are less used to owning homes, for example. And that generation, I think even the millennial generation doesn't see digital ownership in the same way as the Gen Z generation. And so the millennial generation was kind of that generation in music that was downloading music and stealing it. And it was part of that generation that believed there's never going to be this world of ownership in the digital world now you're seeing a complete flip in gen z and you see it really happening in music which is that great analogy of like the physical world to stealing digital content now streaming services are massive and you have 450 million people globally who are paying for digital music and they're not even paying for the ownership of their mu- that music they are paying to rent that music when you look at gen z They actually grew up in a world where you walked around with a computer in your pocket and most of the content you are consuming is digital. And you see that transition to digital content across all different industries. So movie industry, similar trend. Now people are paying to subscribe to Netflix. When it comes to news, you're seeing companies like Substack, where people are paying for a specific author for a newsletter. This is something 10 years ago, you could never convince those earlier generations that someone would be paying for a digital newsletter. That was all considered to be free. That was all online content that you didn't have to pay for. Now you're seeing even the extent of Gen Z's ownership model where they're actually purchasing digital goods for purely the sake of ownership. And that's NFTs are a great example of that, NFT collectibles. Video games is an amazing industry that just shows the power of digital ownership. And a lot of that is driven by Gen Z who see value in a digital good in a game economy. Whereas if you talk to the generations before, it's unconscionable to think of purchasing something that's not a physical good in that the definition of ownership probably doesn't encompass digital goods.
1: Yeah, totally. I I never thought about it that way from a video game perspective. It does feel like gaming industry and digital goods within gaming industry are a stepping stone to the current, more direct relationship between artists or creators and their fans and actually like bucketing the different ideas you mentioned newsletter or sub stack that's very much like direct fan and you know artist in this case writer a producer writer relationship and in gaming ownership existed for sure like you worked in this world so correct me if I'm off here but like I forget which games this was prevalent in, but like mining for gold was like a thing where you people would spend real world dollars to get access to in world tokens or money to buy outfits for their character or weapons or level up or whatever. But that money, my point is, that money always went into the pockets of the gaming company, which was it was always kind of like a, a closed ecosystem. And what you're describing in terms of NFT ownership. And this trend of digital ownership is one step further, which is not only the idea of owning something digital, which, which is like sort of more compelling to the new generation, but also owning it, having purchased it in many cases directly from the person that's responsible for its creation. So this feeling of intimacy and personal connection is also super powerful.
0: Yeah. To your point, I, so previously I worked at a video game company and that was actually my deep dive into, I would say the creator economy, which is when we were acquiring users for the game, gamers don't really respond to traditional marketing. And so the way that we market our games was through creators, through influencers. So we were working with Twitch influencers and YouTube influencers. And this is where I was spending a lot of my time as, as a marketer, just talking to these creators, understanding how they worked, understanding how they think about their work and their business, and ended up down the rabbit hole of the creator economy. But one thing that was interesting in the campaigns that we did with this video game company is that we would partner with these influencers to create digital goods within the game. And so we, what we do is we'd have an influencer create a good within the game that they think that their fans would specifically want in the game and then we would do we would run a campaign with them where we would essentially be doing a rev share and what we saw it was actually super interesting there was this whole segment of these mid-size influencers that had these super engaged audiences and so when they would create a digital good within the game and market to their fans they just had a much higher conversion rate than I would say even the big influencers because they had spent the time building that community. I was fascinated by this concept of their ability to go and sell a digital good that was truly meaningful for their fans. We are single player games. So this wasn't actually we weren't even selling a digital good that had like direct utility in a game. Like some of the games, if you're for example, your example of mining for gold, some digital goods have a utility. Some of them are purely For like delight and enjoyment in the game, like for example, if you are buying a skin or outfit for your character within the game, we had a single-player game, and so people were purchasing digital goods one to support that creator, just purely like thank you for the content that you create. We are as a fan of yours, we're willing to purchase this good, and two as a collector, and so for our super engaged fans who were playing the game regularly, they could have a wallet of all of the the goods that they had purchased from the different influencers that they follow. And even though only they get to experience that good, they have this this piece of ownership. And actually, a lot of games are starting to think through building this economy of trade from that collectible. And I think that's sort of what you're pointing to, is like, there's, there's one, this direct relationship between purchasing that digital good from the creator and then two i think another thing that nfts are bringing online is this concept of collectibles and trading which in some way you know building a system that in some way gives back to the creator so when you go and purchase a good and then you go and trade that good that there's an incentive for the creator to keep creating those goods which could never doesn't exist really in the physical world
1: yeah that's so fascinating One of the things that I think you're describing is very, is like how digital goods can represent identity, which is really interesting. And like identity and association for an individual, which are like a big, a big part of, you know, your personal identity.
0: Yeah, it's such a great color because that goes back to the past generations with physical goods. A lot of your identity, I mean, clothing was a big piece. Of yeah. your identity, right? Still yeah. I mean, still is in many ways. Like the brand of clothing you're wearing. Do you have the, you know, the designer purse or the cool new pairs of sneakers? In the gaming world, that actually exists digitally. And so what you there's ownership of what you have chosen to purchase in the digital world and what you are showing in what's now being referred to as as the metaverse. But there's also some identity in the content that you consume the choice of the Substack newsletters that you choose to read, or in the music that you're the playlist you're creating on Spotify, those are actually becoming a larger piece of identity than just, you know, the clothing you're wearing or the car you're driving.
1: Totally. Yeah, I guess more visible in the digital world, like this, you know, last week, as I said, it's December. So we just all got our Spotify wrapped for the year. And like, wow, what an incredible way for people to like, sort of show the values that they have or the things that they're interested in or who they identify with from a music perspective. It's just like music continues to be one of the number one ways that people show what they're all about. And now podcasts too, of course, are like in the mix there. What's interesting is, is like, uh, especially with Spotify, it's sort of a one-way thing, like more about consumption. Like if I were to post my Spotify wrapped playlist, it would be mostly about like what i'm enjoying and what that says about me probably maybe there's some you know interesting funny surprises in there which is part of the part of the whole game but it doesn't really today speak about my relationship with that artist on any deeper level i was doing some research on how spotify works and some of the in prep for this call how payouts work to artists and one interesting thing that i came across was like payouts for streams are shockingly low they're somewhere in the third of a cent range for one stream, meaning that, and this is for the audience because I'm sure you can correct me where I'm wrong here and know much more about it than me, but 250 streams usually equate to, to a dollar roughly for an artist. And they're not like directly distributed in many cases, or most of the major platforms don't directly distribute, meaning like if I pay 10 bucks for my Spotify plan and I only listen to J. Cole, who I'm a huge fan of, or I only listen to Magic City Hippies, which is another band I listen to. They are getting paid out not on their share of my 10 bucks, but rather they're like just their stream count overall. And some of these companies are talking more about like doing the math differently and distributing payouts from an individual subscriber in certain ways. It seems a little complicated to me. Where is all this stuff going? Are the big players in the music space moving towards more uh, better concepts of digital ownership that match the consumer with the artists more directly? Or is it like, are they still far from it? And how does what you guys are building fit into all this?
0: This is awesome that you've gone into the weeds of what's happening in music specifically. I started my career in the music industry at Universal. And then through this experience, working with this video game company and working with creators, I became fascinated with creator monetization. And I remember thinking back to my experience in music And my thought was, well, artists are really the original online creators. Their product has always been a digital content. So they're not new in the world of creators in what's become the popular definition. Yet if you talk to many artists, they probably don't think of themselves as creators in, in that definition. But artists actually exist in a very similar environment as online creators because of what you're talking about with streaming revenue which is if you look at a YouTuber, the way that a YouTuber earns is very similar. They actually need a massive audience in order to monetize their content. And so in order to make YouTube work, you have to go and find a broad audience. It's hard to be a niche creator with kind of like a subculture or smaller community, even if that community is more engaged. The same thing exists for artists. So the way that Spotify revenue works, to your point, is one you just need a massive number of streams in order to make that revenue stream meaningful and two the way that spotify structures their payouts is they do it through one giant bucket so you and i are considered the same as listeners our monthly payment to spotify goes into one bucket and then spotify goes down the list of their artists and says okay what percent of share did those artists have of the stream they pay out in that way one large bucket Versus saying, okay, Jesse listens to J Cole, so his subscription, his subscription payment is going to go to J Cole or the listens he to J Cole. Jenna's listening to Diplo, and therefore Jenna's payment is going to Diplo. It doesn't work like that. And so when you actually look at the payouts, most of the money on Spotify is going to your top 100 artists. I looked at the numbers fairly recently. It something like eight million artists on Spotify. And the number is, I think, 14,000 who are earning a living from Spotify revenue. Yeah, so it's, very, it's a very small portion of artists, and part of it is do that structure. But it actually looks very similar on, on YouTube. Really interesting insight that I had from working with this video game company is we'd work with these call the mid-market streamers who had these super engaged niche audiences. And that's where, when they were selling digital goods directly to their fans, the conversion rate was much higher. And so that's where we started to have this hypothesis that, okay, if you look at the situation in music and there's just this massive long tail of artists, we're talking 20 million artists who are creating music and are able to now go online and find a global audience and build that global audience from scratch, which they never could before, But they may be in a subculture or or a smaller genre where they're never going to have the mass amount of streams that allow them to earn revenue through streaming. And what would be a way our hypothesis was, well, they have these super engaged communities. So if they sold directly to their fans, what would that look like? And what we saw in the gaming world is that these smaller, I would call them mid-market influencers just performed better when going direct to their fans. And so our hypothesis is that the same thing exists in music and that there is a huge segment of these mid-market artists that have super engaged fan bases and communities that truly follow them, but they just have no way to go and directly monetize those fan bases. And if you look at the, re- the way that artists earn, today it's touring, going on tour, which was tough in COVID, and then streaming revenue. And when you look into streaming, it's exactly the environment you're talking about, which is most artists are just not generating almost any revenue through streaming.
1: Interesting. Yeah. And I guess another thing that has changed in the last few years is the ability for, and you touched on this, you describe it as community. I, I describe it as audience probably. It's like, if you are our an artist or a musician with a fan base, your fans know where to reach you directly, and you have full control over what you put in front of them, whether that's content you post or whether that's a product you're selling. Putting aside the question of algorithmic distribution, what we're seeing now is a lot of uh, folks who are who have a super engaged audience using their own mini websites, LinkedIn bio tools, things like that to route people to products that they're selling or ways that they can be supported and kind of like taking even more control first, you know, working through a third party to do that. I guess like historically that would be like depending on your record label to promote you and stuff like that. But now fans are coming directly to artists. What has that enabled and and how are you guys capitalizing on that on behalf of artists specifically?
0: Yeah. So that's a it's an interesting trend we're seeing where more artists are choosing to go independent. And that's because they now are able to go and reach their fans directly through social media. They can distribute their music through a lot of great services like DistroKid or TuneCore where they can get their music out there. Previously, they had to go through a gatekeeper. which So record labels, when they were selling in the physical world, the record label was, the, was your distribution. Now artists can go direct. Which is so you're seeing more and more artists choosing to go independent or work with a record label just strictly for promotion. They're helping with helping to get their music out there, whether it's they have relationships with Spotify for curated playlists or relationships for broader promotion across radio. But more artists are saying, hey, I can go and build this fan base. I think the problem that we see is even though artists are doing that, they're still struggling with monetization. And so even though there's tools like Linktree and they can send more fans from social media to their music, they're still struggling with, okay, how do we go and take those fans and actually convert them for this to be a sustainable source of revenue and a way for artists to to earn? And that's kind of where we see the gap that we're filling, which is artists don't really have great tools to go direct to their fans today. When we see things like Linktree, we actually think in, in many ways, it's somewhat backwards, which is an artist is spending all this time building this, building a fan base and engaging with their fans on social media. And then they have a link in their bio that sends their fans to just a list of links, mostly sending them to Spotify, which helps a lot of those fans have probably already heard their music, and or maybe they're getting a few listens on, and plays on, play, on Spotify, but that doesn't help them earn in any way. Whereas previously, artists used to have websites, which sucks to maintain. Building a website as an artist sucks and maintaining that website is not what you want to be doing. And the website used to be your commerce. And so your fans would go to your website, they may purchase some merch, they may purchase your music directly. And so that's where we we actually think the link in bio needs to go back to your commerce. And we need to restore that flow, which was a way for artists to get their fans to convert. That flow just is not happening right now. Um, And artists are not going direct to their fans because there's just limited ways to do that.
1: Yeah, I guess one word I was using to describe Lincoln Bio-type tools is as a router. And your point is like, it is a router and it's routing people to other platforms that are owned by larger companies, not often to the artist's own stuff. So what would it look like for a artist using your platform, maybe the best way to describe it would be from a user experience. If I'm a super fan and an artist I love is using your platform, what would the experience be like and what could I do that would be different than the -the run-of-the-mill routing experience?
0: Yeah, so I can, I can explain both sides. So on the artist side, we essentially are replacing the website and the link tree. And so an artist can join and create a profile. The profile will have all of those links. So if you want to link to your Spotify or your Twitch stream, that will all be on there like a link tree, but then you're immediately dropped into commerce. And so an artist can upload music for sale, videos for sale, mainly digital content that they can put behind a paywall and have their fans preview. On the fan side, I think the big difference that we see that just doesn't exist today is if a fan purchases digital content, they need a place for to go and easily find and consume that content. And we actually think that experience really sucks with some of the other platforms like Patreon, for example. And so if you are a fan and you want to go and support an artist that you really love, you subscribe to them. And then you get this scrolling feed of content that you have to hope to leave open in your browser to go back to and consume. The fan experience just really sucks. And so what we're building on the fan side is the concept of a wallet. And so just like in the game world where you purchase digital goods and it all goes in in a wallet or in even the crypto world with your NFTs, you need one place that holds all of that digital content. And so if you are a fan of multiple different artists and you purchase music and videos and potentially NFTs down the road, it should all go into one place. And so that's what the wallet is for the fan. It's a place that contains all of the digital goods that they've purchased. And then a place where they can go and easily consume that the way that they want to consume, so there's a universal player in there, there's really easy features too if you want to, for example, stream to your Chromecast and watch those videos with your friends on your your monitor. really easy to go and do that, and that just doesn't exist today in any of these platforms that are that are building specifically for artists but also for creators in general
1: yeah it's I hear you it, it makes a lot of sense for him that way because. A lot of what I've seen out there in terms of like today's tools that exist is very much like supporting your artist, right? And it's almost as if it swung to like it swung f- far enough in that direction as the t- as like the software itself has been built that like the consumption and the enjoyment of materials, music, whatever it is that you're you know, paying to access in the form of supporting an artist takes second stage. And what I'm hearing from you is like, no, actually there's there's space for something that will put consumption front and center and allow you to support. And it's kind of a best of both worlds type situation.
0: Exactly. It's it's such a good point. Yeah. And so I think consumption and then going back to that, that ownership piece that we were talking about earlier. I agree. I think the platforms today are are structured for this concept of of supporting an artist, and we're like, but actually, artists are creating content of value that people will pay for. If you're a fan, you're just not you're not just willing to support. You're actually willing to purchase. You're purchasing a ticket to go to their show for experience. You're purchasing their music because you want to listen to it. You're purchasing merch because that's how much you love this artist. And the tools have strayed away from that. To your point which is this concept of, oh, you're just supporting an artist. But actually, when we talk to artists, a lot of them are like, you know, in some ways, it's, it's actually a little bit demeaning in that the only options for digital content are for our fans strictly to say, okay, we'll, we'll donate to the artist versus they're actually producing content of value that fans are willing to pay for. There's just not a good system for fans to go and purchase that directly.
1: Got it. I am so excited to see what you guys are building. I know you're in, is it like a beta stage right now, sort of closed waitlist phase?
0: We are. We have a beta list of artists that we're starting to work with. And we are launching in January with a, a limited run of the platform, which is just music to start. And then we're adding on more digital goods for, for artists to sell.
1: Amazing. All right. We'll be sure to, uh, to link out to the site in all of our show notes, et cetera. If people are looking to get in touch with you, what's the easiest way?
0: To find us on our website would be the best way. So, we actually have a sign up form on our website that artists can go to and sign up. And then, as soon as we launch, there'll be a place for fans to go and actually search. Our homepage will feature all of the artists on the platform. So, they can go and search by artists or they can go and explore and browse
1: amazing super excited to check it out been amazing talking to you today i guess this is what is officially called a wide-ranging conversation because we covered a uh, a lot of a lot of ground i had a lot of fun with you today thanks for coming on the show jenna hope to talk to you soon that wraps this excellent episode of creator kit if you like this episode please don't forget to leave us a rating on spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts it really does make a huge difference to us and it just takes a click Creator Kit is brought to you by Highbeam, the message management solution for creators. For more creator resources, visit us at highbeamapp.com or follow us on Twitter. See you next week.